Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Human Entrepreneur. Today, we are really lucky to be joined by Keshav Kirapa Dinakaran, an entrepreneur and maker movement advocate. He is currently building Digital Brain, which is saving coders and engineers time on manual repetitive tasks. As well as this, he is a champion at Rubik's Cube and has cycled 4,000 kilometers across the Silk Road, which he credits to helping him along his journey towards co-founding Digital Brain, as well as speaking at SXSW, TEDx Redmond at Microsoft, and the Ellen MacArthur Foundation's Disruptive Innovation Festival, and being a Stanford Areti lead. In part one of our conversations with Keshava, we talk about how he went from a coconut farming family in India towards co-founding Digital Brain and working in Silicon Valley. Hi Keshav, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Hi Varun and Luke, thank you so much for having me. Uh, so you know, every time someone comes in the human entrepreneur, we always ask them their elevator pitch. So we're going to ask you that as well. What is your elevator pitch? Who are you? What do you do and what's your story? Sure. So I grew up in the southern part of India. So most of my family, they're all coconut farmers. Um, basically, um, you know, ended up thinking, uh, you know, I was surrounded by these people who who always followed the standard path, you know, finish high school, uh, get married, uh, go, go to college, uh, uh, you know, become an engineer or keep moving on and, you know, have kids. And this is what life is. But what ended up happening with me was I stumbled upon like a Rubik's Cube when I was younger and uh, when I was 11 and uh, started getting good at it. And I walked into my like first ever Rubik's Cube competition. And I was surrounded by these like Fortune 500 CEOs, musicians, artists, engineers, doctors, all these people from very different backgrounds. And that's when I realized uh, that, you know, I could uh, do other things. Um, and basically started getting really good at Rubik's Cubes, ended up like captaining the Indian national team. Um, I was the, uh, I held like multiple Rubik's Cube world records. Um, and the Rubik's Cubes um, opened up a lot of opportunity. And one of them was to be able to go to a high school called the United World College. Uh, it's the high school that brings together people from like 70 different countries to work on like international peace and understanding. Um, ended up uh, going there and we lived on top of a hill in the middle of a forest. We I mean, a lot of forest fires. Uh, and um, these forest fires, you know, um, would take like several hours to detect and then several hours to beat out. Um, because we lived in the middle of nowhere, you know, it was the students who actually ended up beating out these forest fires. So me and my best friend, what we ended up building was this like drone that patrolled around campus and, um, you know, we would detect these forest fires and it reduced the amount of time that it took uh, massively. And that's when we realized, um, you know, I was a product of the internet and this is what I wanted to continue doing. And uh, that kind of opened up um, this whole possibility of getting into tech. Um, but at the same time, I really wanted to live this United World College mission, which was to promote international peace and understanding. So uh, after high school, after I graduated uh, with three other friends, we ended up uh, cycling um, from uh, Europe uh, to Asia, so from Turkey to China, uh, to promote intercultural understanding, sustainability, uh, and peace. Uh, we cycled about uh, 4,000 kilometers, approximately 2,500 miles, uh, across nine countries uh, in 80 days to promote this. And uh, we ended up getting a lot of uh, you know, uh, attention, and, and one of which was uh, by a foundation in the US called the We Are Family Foundation. Um, and they basically bring together like the 30, um, 30 impactful like social entrepreneurs every year uh, for this 10-day summit. So I was fortunate enough to be part of last year's cohort, and that's when they flew me into the U.S. for the first time. Um, so I did, um, so I did the 10-day summit and ended up um, moving out to 
you know, uh, coming to uh, Silicon Valley just to, you know, see the tech scene because I was interested in tech. I came out here and basically fell in love. And I said, I really just wanted to stay here. So I went back home and um, figured out my visas and then moved out here. Uh, about one and a half, two months in, uh, wasn't necessarily able to, you know, uh, uh, get anywhere, especially because I was an immigrant solo founder at that point and wasn't necessarily able to raise funding or be in a place where I could. Um, so that's when I was in, and I basically ran out of money and basically lived off of like hackathon prize money for about six, seven months. Um, one of the projects that came out of these hackathons was a company called Digital Brain. Um, and what Digital Brain does is we help, um, we, what we discovered was that engineers were spending upwards of 20 to 30% of their time writing code documentation. Um, so, um, you know, it's a, it's a laborious process. So in the end of the day, companies were spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to maintain their documentation. Um, and it's like, it's an invaluable asset but you know it's, a, it's it's almost like a chore for all engineers to be able to actually do it um, so uh, we ended up building this uh, product that actually helps automate this entire process um, so we started off with our first pilot right out right out of the you know hackathon um, we ended up uh, going forward and we just raised our first round of funding from uh, Unshackled Ventures uh, an immigrant focused fund here in the US um, and now we're in the process of uh, moving forward Man, that's 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 amazing. Uh, and just so anyone's listening, uh, we met at a, a Model United conference in China, and uh, ever since then we've actually lost touch. And now, uh, I mean, this is the first time I'm actually hearing you uh, you talk about this, and it's it's amazing to see your progress, man. So well done on that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's been it's been a long time. I think it's four years since we last met. So yeah. it's definitely been a, yeah. definitely been a while. So I mean, you 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 come to Silicon Valley. You were flown in through this uh, uh, this this con. I mean, you went you flew you were flown into uh, the United States of America, and then that's where you had that conference. And then you went to Silicon Valley to check out the scene. At that point, were you were you thinking of going to university or any of that sort of thing? Did that ever cross your mind, or you just knew that you wanted to jump into entrepreneurship and build your own thing? I actually committed to a school by then. So the idea was that I would come out to, because I was on a gap year, um, the idea was that, you know, I would come out to Silicon Valley for uh, two, like after the whole like four day, five day trip, I thought I would come out here for two months um, and then go back and then get my visa to go to university. Uh, but uh, clearly that didn't end up happening. And so this this gap year, I mean, I, I've taken a gap year as well, and it's, it's, it's changed the way in which I look at things, uh, more so the way in which I look at the world and my mission and vision in life. And I don't know, I, I'm sure, you know, cycling through um, through long distances, there's been a lot of thought process you, you've probably had a lot to think about. Did that, you know, play a factor in, in the whole idea of, you know, becoming an entrepreneur and becoming who you are today? Talk me through the gap year. What, what were your learnings there? Um, so my gap year... Um, I credit everything I'm doing today to that, um, you know, my gap year in 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 many ways. Uh, mainly because I think it completely changed my life. The going through uh, the cycling trip is it was one of those like the most like life changing um, things that you know I got to do, and I'm forever grateful. Basically, uh, going through these like countries, you know, where you have no idea where you're going to end up after each bike ride for the day. So you would we, we generally cycled uh, from 80 to 120 kilometers every day. So we'd wake up at like 8 a.m., uh, start biking, and then we'd end at around 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. every day, um, you know, wherever we stopped. So we'd ideally look for uh, some sort of town or, or village to stop in. 
Um, and we we never we never took camping gear, so we didn't really camp. So every time we would stop at these home these villages, we would just go pretty much knock on people's doors and say, "Hey, we're teenagers. We're cycling through these countries. Uh, can we stay with you for the night?" Um, and um, you know, ninety nine percent of the time, the first house we knocked on said yes. Um, and going through that kind of you know um, through that process every day, um, and you know, living that kind of life, it really shows you. Um, like where you come from and what you can do for the world. And I think that kind of put so many things in perspective for me to be able to continue building on, you know, my vision. And I think after that uh, whole cycling trip, it kind of showed me that, um, you know, how, how, how it, it ironically it showed me how like small I was in the world and how many, um, but at the same time, how large of an impact I can have if I continue um, dreaming big. I love that and I think it really shows the power of human kindness through um, nearly everyone you're speaking to welcoming and, uh, to your home. I'm sure you have some incredible stories, had some uh, incredible food as well um, from lots of different cultures. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, then after the gap year um, and you'd uh, come to America and you, you, you said you committed uh, to a school there, what, what made you um, choose not to uh, go down that route of becoming a student? I think it, um, you know, I came out here on a, on like a fellowship uh, and basically uh, when, when, I, when I was going through and meeting all of these people here, I realized that um, I also live right off uh, Stanford campus. Um, so, you know, being around like I guess in, in some sense, the university capital of the world, um, in, in some sense, I, I started to realize that um, you know, I started sneaking into these classes at Stanford, and um, I was trying to I was trying to figure out like if if university was for me at all. Um, and and I quickly realized that the kind of learnings that I was getting um, by just you know um, being around these incredible people um, who are building these like world changing startups, because you know um, the, some of the people who live here, um, the, the their their products are in the hands of millions and millions of people. Um, and it's just mind blowing that somebody from from a room adjacent to mine is able to do that. And I think that kind of learning really just put me in a place where I realized that you know um, instead of going to a university, paying someone, pay, like paying an institution, and, and trying to gather all of this information, I'd rather just do it from here. And I've not remotely regretted that decision since. And and when you talk about going to not going to university, I'm sure it was a was a big life decision there. How mm -hmm. do you convince your parents? And, you know, you said you didn't have any money. So I'm presuming that, you know, you were funding yourself all throughout uh, if you were going to university as well. And what how did what was going on in your mind there? Like, how did you figure out finances and how do you figure out, you know, telling your parents I'm not going to university? Because I think that would probably be very, very daunting for many people. So uh, I guess the first the, the, the question is easier to answer is. Um, I was, you know, fortunate enough to receive like a full scholarship to the school I was planning to go to. So I didn't necessarily have to figure out finances at that point. Um, but at the same time, um, um, I think uh, it was a gradual decision um, that seemed natural at that point. Uh, funnily enough, what ended up happening was, you know, I, you know, I come from a family where, you know, none of this None of this is. Um, they expect. So my none of my none, my parents haven't gone to college. Uh, most of my cousins haven't gone to college. So they, you know, it was kind of like, oh, Keisha will be like the first ever graduate from from this family. Um, and clearly, that that didn't end up happening. But basically, uh, what happened was as I 
started to, you know, go through this process the first two, three weeks of being here. Um, you know, I sh- obviously I spoke to my parents every day. I shared what I was learning and I think uh, it slowly grew um, on them in some sense. They started to see what I was doing, what I was like learning. And at that point, you know, I was still deciding to go. And it was only in like week six or week seven or like basically like almost two months in. I was like, I don't think it's worth going to college at this point. And, um, and, you know, I told my parents, I was like, you know, maybe we should defer a year or something. And when I emailed the university saying, um, can I defer by a year? Just, just because I was like, okay, maybe, you know, might as well just keep it as an option. Uh, when I requested the university, they said the scholarship will not necessarily like hold on if you continue. So I ended up like saying, okay, you know what, this might just be a sign. Let's just like keep um, doing what I'm doing and see where it takes me. Um, so, you know, it was a gradual decision and and I'm fortunate enough and, and very grateful that my parents were much more open to it than, than I thought they were. You know, you said it's a sign. Uh, are you are you spiritual, religious in any way? Do you believe in faith, uh, anything higher than yourself? Um, is that is that something that goes goes deeper? Um, I, I, I'm not I'm, I'm not religious, so I don't like pray to like a like a god or anything. But um, I I do um, I do uh, in some sense I think I I do believe in 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 some sort of you know. Um, you know, everything happens for a reason sometimes. And, and clearly, uh, you know, if something is not pulling through, then it makes sense in hindsight. Because, you know, in many ways, uh, I was, I, I've always questioned, like, why is this happening now? Why is this happening now? But in, in and, and like, it's like the cliche Steve Jobs quote, you know, you can never connect the dots. You can only connect the dots uh, backwards once everything yeah. is done. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Awesome. And so... You you mentioned that you were kind of living off uh, the prize money of hackathons. Well, what's what's the key recipe to uh, winning hackathons? Would you say? Uh, you know, uh, people expect me to have some uh, really uh, you know uh, like some technical answer to this, but the reality of it is actually very very simple. Um, so all of these hackathons that are organized, uh, so the hackathons I went, ended up going to were ones that were organized by these large corporations because those were the ones that had the most prize money. Um, and basically there were two-day events and uh, there was, you know, all of these large corporations are not doing hackathons you know, just for just for fun, they're not doing it because they're doing it out of they're not doing it because they want to, you know, serve, uh, serve, you know, these young on young uh, hackers. But the reality of it is that they have reasons to, um, to actually be able to, uh, to organize these hackathons. So main, the main uh, key points that uh, they probably would be organizing the hackathon around was either, so none of this is like public, right? So you would have to first figure out like why this company is organizing a hackathon. Either it's like an internal problem that they're having that they want a solution to, or it is a new product that they're launching that they want us to test, or it's for recruiting. Um, so the easiest way to figure that out was I basically just emailed the organizers saying, hey, what's the, why, why, why are you organizing this hackathon? And generally, uh, they're pretty open to telling you why they would want to do it. If it's recruiting, um, it's most, they mostly don't, don't talk about it, but it's, it's very easy to figure out. So first, I would basically figure out why the hackathon uh, you know, was organized. Um, and then um, after we figured out like, the main reason, um, basically, I would um, sit and build a solution around that in the for the first three hours of the hackathon, um, and 
and basically brainstorm with my team, um, build out a solution, like a very basic product, um, and then start showing the organizers uh, and start pitching them from the first hour of the hackathon. So as we continued to make progress on the product, I would constantly keep pitching the organizers. So going from one person to the other um, and get all the feedback um, in the in the process. Um, and basically by the end of the two-day hackathon, I would have gotten enough feedback that I would have built exactly what they were looking for. Um, so all the hackathons that we ended up winning, um, you know, um, the organizers when we did our final pitch had absolutely no question. They, they, they knew exactly what we were building, why we were building it, what we had built, um, what are the technologies used, um, et cetera. So that ended up being like a way we learned to like hack these hackathons because it, 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 it seemed to work every time. I think this is a really interesting skill to have, and I think uh, the model United Nations framework itself, you know, when you're when you're doing it uh, in university, I think it helps you with that significantly because, you know, as soon as you know what the other person is looking for, the one that's probably going to give you a prize or an award, you automatically, you know, cater yourself to that, and you've won. Uh, and definitely, uh, I think this works for you know when you're getting funding, uh, especially anyone yeah. who's listening out there. This was a it's a very important point, you know, like going out there, knowing what the person you're pitching to exactly wants and then catering your pitch exactly to that so that they have no questions asked. I mean, that that's a fantastic, uh, fantastic idea. You know, uh, you, know you spoke uh, earlier about the whole idea of, um, you know, your life's vi- vision and, you know, you were very inspired by UWC and the idea of social impact, social change. Uh, in terms of the startup uh, that you're running right now, do you think you were inspired by that in any way? And are you contributing to that life mission or that life mission has maybe changed or is pivoting in some way? Um, I think I think in the end of the day, uh, it, it was one of the you know bigger uh, choices or one of the bigger questions I had was, hey, why, should, why am I not building like a healthcare startup or why am I not building like a social impact project right now? Um, and uh, I think um, in the end of the day, that mission has not changed. It's truly still part of me and who I am. Um, but I think I'm in a place right now to be building exactly what I'm building um, best today. So it's almost like a means to be able to achieve that larger mission, to be able to work on that larger mission eventually. Um, but at the same time, obviously, um, so startup, the good thing about, I guess, what I'm able to do um, here is that, um, you know, whether it's our investors or whether it's the you know the people who are you know surrounding us uh, realize that you know working twenty four seven on on my startup is probably not the most effective way to uh, to live life. Uh, so I ended up uh, you know I've been working on uh, at the you know I've been working with the Stanford Effective Altruism Community and um, I've been helping out with running their fellowship um, and uh, you know uh, talking about the future of work um, and how we can make our difference in the, in the tiny little ways uh, we're part of. Uh, so I think that's that's how my my idea of like how I see the rest of the world and how I see my vision for the world um, slightly alter. And what what do you what would you say is your life's mission or vision? What would you say it in like if you have to summarize it in a sentence? My life mission and path really is uh, to help reduce the the friction in the healthcare and education systems in the world. Uh, I think that's that's truly where my passion and, and what I what I believe in lies. And I think that whether it's startups or foundations, that's my way of uh, getting to that. Tell our audience a bit more about Digital Brain. Where did the idea come from and where do you hope for it to go in the future? I live in a community hacker house here in Palo Alto. Um, 
And you know, I'm surrounded by these like world-class engineers uh, who are working on some extremely cutting-edge startups. Sorry, and, we don't we don't know what the community hacker house is. Like, could you maybe explain that? It's a new yeah, concept absolutely. to me, at least. Basically, uh, rent in the Bay Area is extremely high, so you want to make the most out of you know um, living here. So what ends up happening is um, instead of you finding a studio or an apartment in the suburbs of, I guess, in, in the Bay Area, what happens is um, there are these like really huge houses. We just get one of these houses and we rent them and a bunch of entrepreneurs who are in similar journeys live together and build together and, and grow their companies together. Uh, you know, we're actually the youngest startup in, in the house, for example, not in terms of age, but in terms of like stage. So um, there are two other companies in the house. Uh, one of them is like a seed stage company to just raise like $11 million. The other one's a series A company. They just raised like a $21 million round. So like, it's kind of amazing to be around these people and learn from them because, you know, whether it's like introductions or um, in the end of the day, they've been through what we're what we are going through right now. So it's massively helpful for us to be able to continue living around these people. And we call these community houses where, you know, we we have people coming over. We not obviously during these times, but in general, we put out these events for for founders, and we live together and basically build together. What's the relationship like between people who live in the house? Is it like quite a friendly relationship is it very professional like how do you maintain that balance between people uh, i think i think we're like a family uh, you know we cook together we live together we cook for each other we you know pretty much uh, live life together right so um it's very much like a family and we're very very supportive of each other and they're the first people i will call if i'm not okay um because that's the kind of place uh we've we've been able to grow to Thank you so much. Uh, okay, so it's been an absolute pleasure uh, recording with you. Really, really appreciate you coming on, taking the time out. No, Thank really you so much. And, having... and we wish you the best of luck. If there's anything you'd like to uh, tell our audience uh, where they can find you, if they want to reach out to you, uh, you want to plug in anything, this would be a nice time to do that. Uh, sure. Uh, you can go follow me on Instagram on Kesava Kirupa, the next one, or on Twitter on Kesava Kirupa. You should be able to find me on both. But um, yeah. Hey, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. If you liked it, do give us a like and leave a review on wherever you hear these podcasts. And for weekly content, subscribe to our podcast channel and check us out on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. See you soon.